Now, in my experience, growth usually comes from a source of pain or discomfort, which pushes you to try something new or interrupt an old behavior simply because you come to realize that the pain of remaining the same, of remaining who you are and where you are, is far greater than the discomfort it's going to take for you to change and try something new. My intention for this show is to inspire growth within you. So if you want to familiarize yourself with the journey many have taken to drastically change their lives, this is the place to be. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Grow With Muin podcast. I am your host, Muin Zafar, and today I have with me Alan Lazarus. He's an engineer with an MBA. He's a speaker. He's the host of the Hyperconscious podcast, and he's also a peak performance coach. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am honored to be here. I love your podcast because it's all about personal growth. Awesome. Thanks for saying that, man. All right. So uh, let's dive right into it. So from where you are now and where you were maybe five or 10 years ago, depending on how long have you been on this path, what was it that caused you, uh, that forced you to sort of deviate from, like, uh, like on a profile, it says you were an engineer. And right. From an engineer to becoming a speaker or a performance coach, that's quite a pivot. So, mm-hmm. so what happened? What was going around in your life at that time that sort of forced you to look <clears> inward <throat> and uh, go go to this uh, different path? So it's a great question. I'll try to give you the medium version. It certainly won't be the short one, but from a very very early time in my life, uh, and it's interesting because we have a podcast called the Hyperconscious Podcast, and it's all about why you do what you do. But what I didn't realize is that that's kind of been a rolling theme through my whole life. And my mom used to never punish us. She would lecture us instead. So whenever we got in trouble, she would always explain thoroughly why we got in trouble rather than just, you know, assuming that a kid is going to deduce on their own why they're in trouble, right? And so my sister and I used to always kind of joke, we still do, about how mom always used to lecture us. We would have rather gotten sent to our room than get another lecture. Hmm. But what's interesting is now looking back, I understand why she did that. Because if you don't understand why something is the way that it is, you don't have the power to change it. And so that's kind of been this sort of rolling theme. But what's interesting is from a very young age, and I owe this to my mom, I remember I was like eight or nine. And my uncle was the track and field coach at a college called WPI. And WPI, for those of you who don't know, is kind of like a mini MIT. It's a very, very prestigious engineering school, technical school. And my mom said, you're really good at math. You're really smart. You should go there one day. You know, maybe Uncle Merle and and your aunt will be able to pay for it or something like that because there's benefits for him being the track and field coach. As a matter of fact, he's since passed away and the track and field is actually named after him still. So we were driving by and she basically kind of gave that, gave me that vision. She planted that seed of you're smart. You should go to WPI. And what's interesting is I'm only nine years old at this point. And fast forward, I, she did this very unique thing. She said, Alan, it was, I was always good in school academically and it was eighth grade. And she said, Alan, if you, I will let you take eighth grade off and just enjoy yourself. If you promise me that you'll get the president's award in high school. Now, the President's Award at that time basically meant that you got straight A's and that you always had above a 95 out of 100 GPA, every report card, all through high school. And so that was kind of a risk she took in trusting me because if you were to look at my academic career, the only C's or B's I ever really got was in, and actually D's, in eighth grade. (laughs) <laughs> so anyways, I did really well in high school, thanks to my mom, again, 
planting that vision, uh, I went to WPI. Now, I went to WPI for electrical and computer engineering. And what's interesting is I was told, you're good at math. I was always drawn to mathematics and numbers. I still, I still love them today. Um, but engineers make a lot of money and you're good at math, so you should be an engineer. In my opinion now, looking back, that is not a good enough reason to choose an entire career. So long story short, I went into corporate America uh, with internships while I was at WPI getting my electrical and computer engineering degree. And I tried engineering. I tried product management. I tried, I eventually ended up in marketing for a company called iRobot. And then I went to a bunch of different companies, Sensata Technologies, Oz Development. I eventually ended up at a company called Cognex. And at this point, I actually have my MBA because when I realized that engineering might not have been the right play, because I'm, you know, I'm so people driven, I'm so extroverted. I, I, I love talking to people. I love talking, obviously, <laughs> um, as a podcaster and sharing stories and influencing people in a positive way. And sitting behind a desk designing circuits, um, I remember I worked for Tyco Safety Products and I was, that's what I was doing. And I remember just not feeling fulfilled. And so after that, I pivoted, got my MBA because I thought I'd go into more of a sales, technical sales role. That's what I ended up doing. So long story long, I went to Cognex, started an inside sales team there, ended up recruiting a bunch of my WPI friends to come on that team with me. I eventually got promoted to outside sales and I sold industrial automation equipment uh, into manufacturing facilities all across basically all of Western New England. Um, one example of one of my big customers was like Frito-Lay and we sold machine vision technology that basically is the eyes of robotics. So Imagine, you know, water bottles going down a line super fast and we take very fast pictures with software that would measure the cap and make sure everything was, you know, QA, quality assurance, everything was good. Now, here's the unfortunate part. The better I did and the bigger my bonus checks got, the less jobs there were for others. I remember going into these manufacturing facilities and I would see pictures on the wall of the 70s, 80s and 90s and it was full of workers, like hundreds of them. And now it's like two or three floor managers and basically all robotics and or automation. <clears throat> and so I kind of saw this huge trend happening where the amount of jobs available for less educated workers was decreasing exponentially because technology is increasing exponentially. Now, what's interesting about what's going on in the world right now is that automation was coming anyway. You know, there was that whole thing during the early 2000s where it's like, oh no, jobs are going overseas. And then it's like, okay, automation is coming. But this, this Corona thing that's happening, basically every single business owner right now, some of my mentors and actually clients, they're all trying to figure out how to do more with less. Now, how do you do more with less? You eliminate, you automate, or you delegate. And that second one's a big one because the more business owners automate to stay competitive and to provide products and services at a competitive price to consumers and other businesses, the less jobs there are for people who don't have the most marketable skills or the highest education. And so I saw this trend happening long ago, and that's really what created the pivot because I'll try to tell you a little story here. So when I was 26 years old, it was like the worst winter ever. And I was up in New Hampshire with my little cousin. We were going to TGI Fridays. I remember we were playing video games like Call of Duty or something, and we went to TGI Fridays. He was a young guy, and I used to try to connect with him that way. And I remember looking down at the GPS, there was this fork in the road. It was like a dark winter night. <clears throat> and I thought the road stayed right. It actually stayed left. I was supposed to yield and I didn't. And all of a sudden I looked up and I was on the wrong side of the road entirely on me. And I saw this lift kitted truck with the brightest lights that I had ever seen. And I remember thinking to myself like that, this is it. 
And, you know, for anyone who's ever been in a life or death situation, like that moment is the scariest thing ever. So fortunately, I was driving a 2004 Volkswagen Passat. This thing was a steel trap. It was, uh, I used to call it the tank. It was a very um, heavy car and <laughs> all the did go off, fortunately. So me and my cousin were okay. But when I give my speeches, I show a picture of this car. It, the thing was mangled. And for those of you who don't know me, I, I didn't say this at the beginning of the story, but when I, when I was two years old, my father was 28 years old and he passed away in a car accident. So for me, this really, what I now refer to as shook the snow globe. So my cousin was kind of tweeting about it. He's still 17 and kind of have that invincibility complex type of thing. We've all been there and he didn't think anything was wrong, but I was 26 and it made me question everything because again, my father passed away at 28 and it's like, what if that was it? And so when you get to that, that moment, you just, I remember I was drinking whiskey in an armchair, just questioning my whole life. And it was just so much emotional pain that I was like, did I live the way I wanted to live? Am I proud of the person I've become? Am I proud of what I've done in the world? And so what I now say in my speeches and on podcasts and stuff is like, listen, I know the two questions that I asked myself. Number one is, did I fight courageously for what I believe in? And how fiercely and openly did I love? And if you don't like the answers to those questions at the end, that that's regret. And so after that dark time, when I worked through a lot of that stuff, I now often say, we cannot see the stars during the day. They're always there. But sometimes it takes the darkness to see clearly that which we simply could not within the light. So when we're in emotional pain, and you talk about this on your podcast, I, I heard an episode earlier that talked about like, I think in the intro, you basically say when we're in pain, that's when we see a new distinction. That's when we see a new mentor or a new course or a new podcast. When we're in emotional pain, I think we can either escape it into a vice, which unfortunately many people choose, and I've been guilty of that too, or we can develop a virtue. And so I saw a star that I had never seen before, which was a book by Bronnie Ware. Uh, do you know who Bronnie Ware is? No, I do not. Okay. So she's an Australian woman who wrote a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And she worked in hospice for eight years with the terminally ill. And she noticed these patterns of all of them saying, I wish, I wish, I wish. And so she wrote this book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying of the, the Top Five Regrets that she kept hearing over and over and over again with all of these people that were reflecting on their life. And so now I, ever since I read that book, I keep a flashcard in my pocket. I've actually since interviewed her on the podcast, which was so, so cool. Uh, episode 180, and it was just like a dream come true for me. But I have a flashcard in my pocket right now with all five regrets. The number one regret of the dying is the one that I think all of us have been guilty of, which is I wish I had lived a life true to myself and not what others expected of me. I think we crave love so deeply that sometimes we let other people dictate what we do and don't do, say and don't say, feel and don't feel, think and don't think. And, and I just don't think that's, the, that's not the way to get fulfillment. And, and I know that from experience because, again, the decisions that I had made all the way up to my car accident in many ways were extrinsically motivated. I don't think I ever sat there, really looked within, like, who do I want to be? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Why? What? do I want to represent in the world so that at the end, I don't have any regrets. And so now every single night, I have a journaling habit where I write down these five regrets and then I rate myself from zero to 10 on each. And then I figure out how to do one more effectively. Here's a tangible example. 
Um, recently, I wrote a six for I wish I had the courage to express my true feelings. That's regret number four. And the reason I gave myself a six is right next to it, I said, I wish I had told my girlfriend, Emilia, I love her. Um, I allowed fear of not ha having her say it back to stop me. So then I screenshotted it and sent it to her. So to me, it's like, let's start with the end in mind. And let's make sure we're living congruent with our highest self. And to me, that's what personal growth is all about. And honestly, that's why I felt so compelled to reach out to you uh, is because I really want to spread that message. That's a powerful story, man. Uh, thank you for sharing that too. Um, so from the point where, so this is after the, uh, the accident when you're, when you're on that armchair drinking whiskey and thinking, uh, asking yourself these uh, introverted questions about who you really want to be and what do you want to represent or what you want your life to represent. What happened from then on that, and then what were the challenges with you? Cause you're in a good career making good money and obviously um, there's family ties and there's friends who, who are probably gonna tell you otherwise. Mm. So, so what happened from that, that, that point on when you asked yourself these questions and when you somewhat had an answer of what you really wanted to do how did you move forward from there? And what were the challenges with that? Mm, that is such a great question. So this is the part that became really, really difficult. Mm. Um, but it was less acute. In other words, it was, I think trauma happens when we go through a lot in a very short amount of time versus yeah. like drawn out emotional pain. So I had up until that point, every decision I had made and, and I shouldn't say everyone, but most of the decisions I made was based on what I, I thought was best, but again, not a lot of intrinsic reflection. So now that I shifted my decision-making paradigm to what do I really want to be? So there was a couple answers that came off. Number one, I also found someone named Tony Robbins, who I'm sure you've heard of. <laughs> yeah. And his TED talk really shook the snow globe for me too, because he talks about the six human needs and the way in which we're each wired. And um, for those of you who don't know, it's you know certainty slash security, uncertainty slash variety, significance, love and connection, and then growth and contribution. And what he talks about is how we all find a way to meet the first four, but what we're not focused enough on, in his opinion, and now in my opinion, is growth and contribution. Mm. And so after I realized, okay, the top five regrets of the dying, I've been not living a life true to myself, not having the courage to fight for what I believe in, not open, uh, loving openly and fiercely. Okay, that's true. Let's change that. Then it was, okay, what do I really want to be in the world? And I was very drawn to being a speaker. And I also did a lot of soul searching. So I went back to a lot of my old friends in college and in high school and even old girlfriends. And I asked them, I said, listen, what's some feedback about me that I give you permission to be fully transparent that maybe I never noticed or from your outside perspective, because it's difficult to see the whole picture when you're in the frame. And I think getting feedback from people, you know, in a loving way is super valuable to realize a couple things. There was a few things that um, I'll give you one example. One of my ex-girlfriends, I was with her for four and a half years through the tail end of high school and most of college. And she said, Alan, I noticed you never mentioned your dad. Um, you just never talked about him. And I think without me being conscious of it, I was avoiding the pain of dealing with that. And so I started just really digging deep into like, myself and why I was doing what I was doing and why, what, what was I avoiding? I, I, I didn't say this, but I, I had a little bit of a drinking problem. Um, you know, I, I drank a little bit in the tail end of high school, whatever. It was, it was nothing like unusual necessarily. Then in college, I was in a fraternity and, and we drank and partied and had fun. 
Um, and a lot of my life was surrounded by, you know, socializing and having a lot of fun. And then it Cognex, they have a, Cognex is a great company, so I don't want to say anything bad about them. They're wonderful, but they do have a motto called work hard, play hard. And I used to say work hard, play harder. And when you're in sales, um, it, it, it is, it's a, it's a fairly common part of the culture. Um, and, and so this is when I started a couple things, big changes. I'll just give you the big ones. Um, one, I wanted to be a fitness model. I wanted to be a public speaker and I wanted to be a life coach. And it's interesting because now it's so fascinating to look back and like, think like back then what I thought life coach was versus what I actually do now in terms of coaching business owners and helping them scale their impact online. But like at the beginning of your journey, you kind of don't know and you got to start somewhere. So all of my decisions that used to be predicated a lot of times on external circumstances of trying to please everybody now became, okay, what do I believe my greatest level of contribution is and how do I stay congruent with my true north, my dreams and goals, which is my true north and my core values and really finding out what those things are. And now I actually have a lot of clarity, I believe, on what those things are. You know, I have a purpose prayer that I say to myself every single day. It's basically a note from my highest self to my human self. Um, and that's like something I do with my clients. And then also I have my six main core values. That's also written in a flashcard in my pocket. So I now make all my decisions predicated on those things that I believe were, you know, part of my highest self rather than external factors of what people said I should or shouldn't do. Um, I, I was watching one of uh, one of your videos on on your Instagram, and uh, one thing that uh, there was one thing that you mentioned that really touched me, and it was about seeing is believing. Mm. And you gave some examples there about how when when we uh, as humans when we rode horses, we had to see the cars first in our imagination, and then we created it. And I think coaching, although I. I have had some mentors, but I don't have any experience coaching anyone. And coaching, it's it's a lot of the same thing where you have to see the person in your mind, in your imagination that you want to become and then go on and create it. Mm. 100%. Thank you for that. I, I I love that that thing of like, we had to see cars when there was only horses in order to invent that. We had to imagine airplanes when there was only cars. And then we had to imagine spaceships when there was only airplanes. And it's like, what are we imagining now? And that's the thing. A lot of people say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Honestly, you might never see it until you believe it first. Because why would you act on something that you don't believe in? One of the things I say to people is, and my clients and just in speeches in general, it's like, why would Warren Buffett invest in a stock that he didn't believe would grow? He, he wouldn't. You have to believe in something in advance in order to invest in it. And one of the main things that I try to help people with is like, if you don't believe in yourself, that's where you got to start. Because why would you invest in yourself, aka personal development, if you didn't believe in your own brighter future? And that really is my true north. That's my mission to inject belief into others so that they believe in a brighter future on their own terms, and, and then actually start investing in themselves to create that. So I hope that I'm able to you know, do that for you and some of your listeners. I know you obviously are already on that path and I'm sure most of your listeners are as well, but hopefully there's a few distinctions I can bring that are unique. Yeah, for sure. And um, I really appreciate that. I appreciate you bringing that sort of value here. Um, so what would you say to, um, to someone who, let's say there's a person who, who can imagine a version of themselves that they want to become, but how do you instill or how do you, how do you install belief 
in that vision because there's one aspect of okay you're co- you're you know my coach or my friends believe in that vision but unless and until i myself believe in that and really put give give it some attention then it's not going to change and i was i was watching this will smith video it was a very short clip and he was talking about the same thing belief he's like before anybody else believes in you you have to believe in yourself and mm-hmm. from that belief you're probably going to engage in some actions that are going to attract other people who will see that you are someone who believes in yourself and your values and that will attract a certain uh, kind of people to you so before they believe in you you have to believe in what you're doing so how do you install that sort of belief how do you install it? that was powerful what you just said and i agree it's interesting because if you want to change the fruit you have to go to the root mm-hmm. first and a lot of people say, it's like, there's that great question. It's like, when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? When's the next best time right now? So if you are out there right now and you want to achieve something, some fruit, some shiny object, like a lot of times we're focused on like, oh, I want that car or I want that house, but it, it needs to be a, a belief in your own ability to actually achieve that because those things are actually a byproduct, in my opinion, of something far deeper. So in my speeches, I, I show this iceberg and at the very top, it's the physical. So I have this system that I co-created with one of my clients. His name's Alex Hinkle, brilliant man, like absolute boy genius. Um, and he and I came up with a system called the PMES system, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. I believe those are the four facets of the human condition. And at the very top of this iceberg, so picture an iceberg where three fourths of it are underwater. And that's what's holding the iceberg up. We can only see the physical. That's P, physical. Okay. That's the results that most people think they want. The problem is if you don't dig underneath that iceberg for the mental strategies that actually allow that to be possible, the emotional resilience, and then again, the last part, the spiritual, the ability to imagine it in your mind's eye in advance. So to me, in my speeches, I give this super simple, this weird thing I say, I say uh, manifestation in the purple elephant. And everyone's like, what does that mean? I say, okay, right now I'm imagining in my mind's eye, a purple elephant, with a cowboy hat on and a double barrel shotgun. And then I say, okay, now that each of us right now, if we're imagining that, have a different version of that purple elephant. That's the S, that's the spiritual, that's the imagination. Okay, now if I wanna take that from the imaginary land and put that in the physical land, now I have to emotionalize it and say, okay, this is my purple elephant, this is what I believe in. I have to believe in it enough emotionally to act on it in terms of a strategy. Now, what's my strategy? I need to get a crayon. That's purple. I need to get a piece of paper and now I'm going to start to draw it. Now I need actual drawing skills. I have to actually physically take action. That's the physical part. I just took something that didn't exist that was only in my imagination and made it real. Ever heard of Barney? Now granted that's, I don't, I think it's a dinosaur, not an elephant, but the point is this, every single thing that exists around us that was man-made is that manifestation process. So when people hear manifestation, a lot of times they think, oh, it's woo-woo, like that doesn't make any sense. I, I, I always tell that story because it's like everything around you that's man-made started in someone's mind first. And you have that same exact power. There's no reason why you can't draw your own version of your imaginary purple elephant right now and make something that's not real actually real. And so I think we get a little tripped up on not using each of the steps in the process. And one thing that I'll say, because going back to your original question, how do you inject belief? How do you believe in something before you see it? I think it comes down to using your imagination. 
And unfortunately, when we're kids, we use our imagination all the time. And we used to have imaginary friends and, and we'd, we'd play imaginary house and we'd, you know, cook imaginary food. And now, you know, this is something that I constantly talk about, the PMES system, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. I think the tail ends of your experience, the physical and the spiritual, those are both the tail ends, are the most important because most of what's available today, movies, um, television, social media, think about it, they're they don't require you to imagine as much. So in the 1950s, let's say, before, or 20s rather, before TV, we used to read books, like fiction books, and then imagine in our mind's eye what that author was picturing. And that was our own unique version of it. So my favorite fiction book is The Alchemist. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of it. Yeah, I, I have a different version. You love The Alchemist? Yeah, I love it. Perfect. Okay, so you and I both have our own unique imagination of that book mm. when we're reading it. That is actually training, like you train a muscle in the gym, our imagination muscle, for lack of better phrasing. It's using a part of our brain that is uniquely human that we no longer have to use that much. Let's be frank. And that's why I say to people, number one goal, if you want to change your life, get in the gym, get physical. Okay. Number two, meditate. Because if you meditate, you're going to imagine things and you're going to use that imagination muscle. And I also actually started reading fiction books more often. I'm reading a book called uh, Fountainhead by Ayn Rand, because I want to train my mind to consistently imagine things in my mind's eye, because I know that's a muscle that's super powerful for my ability to create the life that I, that I want to believe in. That's powerful, man. There's a couple of things uh, you said there that were really valuable, I believe. One is, uh, and, and you, you may have said it in other ways, is about putting things on paper. And I think this is something that's really undervalued. And I say that because I really didn't see it as much of a big deal myself when I actually started doing it. And this is through ex my experience of, you know, writing a book or, or even coming up with this podcast, I had to first imagine it, like you said, and then the next thing that I wasn't really focusing on and I didn't really care about was putting it on paper because I, th I always thought, what's that going to do? I, I, I already have it in my head. But, mm -hmm. but but then the, that's the, just the, just the idea of putting writing those things down like the insights for my book I had them written down they were in my head they were in my phone and I wrote them down and then it gave me the opportunity to maybe a few months down the line look back at them and be like hey this is inspiring maybe I can write this into a book mm -hmm. same thing with the podcast that was more systematic now because I had the experience of writing the book. I wrote down the date. I was like, okay, this is what my podcast I think is going to be about. These are the ideas. These are the 12 steps that I think I need to take. Let's focus on step one, then two, then three, then four. Right. And eventually I created the podcast and that's, that's the sort of practicality that you're talking about. And then I had a really difficult time imagining things. I was really good at it. But then the practical steps of writing things down and really like putting them in a container, that was the hard part for me. And then the only way I did do it was, was really like getting a support system. First of all, I had a coach and I went through uh, variations of um, mind training. So I did hypnotherapy, mm. which really helped because I really believe in the power of the subconscious mind and the messages that we hold from a very young age 
that can run the story when we were when we were adults. So I really believed in that, and hypnotherapy really appealed to me because to me that was getting to the root of a problem. Amen to that. You, yeah, which is something you also said. Um, so I, I had these tools. I had the support because I knew there was a problem because I I can see in my mind like clearly what I wanted to do, but for some reason I couldn't really manifest it. And then when I went through uh, these trainings, the support system. And I tried to start things down. I started to create things around me, and it was really unreal, man. And I just wanted to highlight that that aspect of it because I think writing things down on paper or even on your phone is really undervalued. If you have a good idea, if you if there's something that really sparks a light in you, or if it's a consistent thought that you're consistently ignoring, write it down on a piece of paper and make it practical. And sometimes the magic happens. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I, I, um, I was actually just with my girlfriend on Sunday. Is today Tuesday or Monday? Today's Tuesday. Tuesday. Um, on Sunday. And I said, babe, in our, in our next house together, uh, I want to have a room of whiteboards. So um, <laughs> I literally have a whiteboard in front of me. I'm down in the studio and I am obsessed with masterminding and whiteboarding. And I call the, uh, the marker the magic wand. Because it's like, not only can you write down what you actually want, which is a results goal, but you can also strategize about how to actually make it happen. And those are the pieces too. It's like, okay, imagining is step one, believing in it and emotionalizing is step two, strategizing about how, what to actually do is step three, and then actually doing it is step four. So we think, oh, it's all about just action. No, you need, there's actually four steps in the manifestation process. And a lot of us, I say this to a lot of people. It's like, we're righty or lefty. I know that for me, I was way heavy on P and M and not nearly enough on E and S. So I was mostly, um, and we can go into this if you want, but the energies, right? Masculine, feminine. I was way heavy on the the physical and mental and not nearly heavy enough or well-trained on the emotional and the spiritual. And when I started to develop my emotional and spiritual well-being, my intrinsic after that car accident, that's when I really started to ramp up my ability to manifest. And so I think all of us, one of the things that I do have trouble with in the personal development industry that I wanted to bring to the table is there is no one size fits all because all of us don't need the same thing. So for example, you've got books on one end called Relentless by Michael Jordan's personal trainer, great book, but that might be you know, if someone like me picks that up, just take action, just take action, that's only one fourth of the equation. And then you've got on the other side, you have very spiritual books, but that to me, again, is another, another end of the spectrum. And so I like to, my girlfriend's referred to me and herself actually as uh, the book doctor. So like, I like to hmm. understand someone and what their challenges are, their unique challenges, and then try to understand how they're wired and then where they need to bring themselves up. So uh, for PMES, it's like, we all have a certain code. For me, it's mental, physical, emotional, spiritual. So my mental is the high one, which is why I love numbers, logic and rationality, my engineering mind, and I love to strategize. I'm obsessed with strategy. So if it was you and me in front of a whiteboard and you told me some result you want, I literally would like light up like a Christmas tree figuring out how to do it. Um, But that's because I'm so heavy on M that my lowest one, my weakest link is S. So what I need to be doing is meditating more, reading fiction books, imagining in my mind's eye what's possible. So for me, the imagination piece was the piece that I really needed the spiritual side to, to develop. So I think all of us have, you know, a really strong strength 
that we should maximize and then a weakness that we need to mitigate in the personal development space. I love that. And, and you're right. There's everybody has um, a different kind of balance going for them. And you can see that in the world too, with people like someone like David Goggins, he's all about, right. uh, <laughs> you know, uh, just going for it. Uh, relentless, just like that book. Right. And exactly. Then, and there's someone like, um, someone who I admire is Vishen Lakhiani, who really mm-hmm. takes into account from what I've seen and what I've read, all the aspects um, of what it what it really means to be, you know, truly happy with living a passion. And there's different ways of, of, of doing that. One is, you know, you just go hard and you make your nights shorter and days longer and and really beat yourself up. And there's a, and the other way is you take a more solid approach. You keep, you keep your night's sleep as well. Right. And, and, and keep working on your dreams at the same time. And everybody, I think, can reach a peak level at a different sort of balance. Right. But for same. me, what I resonate with the most is, uh, you know, people like Vishen Lakhiani. Right. I, I really that, admire that. Yeah. You just hit such a good point. I think that there is no right or wrong answer, but there is a better answer for you. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, a, there's a right, you know, we have this thing on the podcast, we call it the drive to five, zero to 10. So imagine the far left of this line, you've got spiritual, uh, then you've got emotional in the, you know, left middle, then you've got the right middle is mental. And then the far right is just physical. We all fall on that line in our own unique way. And we're all, I'll never forget when we had Bronnie Ware, uh, the person who wrote the top five regrets of the dying on the podcast, because I remember telling Kevin after that show, I said, wait a minute, she's the most gentle, warm, loving, feminine energy I've honestly almost ever met. And I remember thinking to myself, like afterwards, I'm a Kev, she changed the world. Her work changed not only my life, but millions of people's lives. She changed the world with her gentleness. Now, I know I'm not going to change the world with my gentleness. Now, that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't mean that I'm bad or that she's bad. There's no right or wrong. I just know that my best version of me, what resonates with me, what, what feels like home to me is a different, more masculine energy. And so if, if you're listening right now, that's the problem with listening to extrinsics. That's the problem with not living a life true to yourself. Because if you think you should be a certain way based on what someone else said, did, or their example, you're missing the point in my opinion, and like I was. I'm just as guilty of this as anybody. There's going to be certain persons, places, things, and ideas that resonate most with you because that's uniquely you. And so one example I always give is if you're ever envious of something, if you ever felt the negative emotion of envy, I believe that's an emotional Ooh. signal telling you your, your highest self calling you saying you can do that too. I, I love that. I think you, um, you hit a stroke there because there are some, so I, I, I make it a point of following people on Instagram that I truly admire. Mm. And, and there have been people, uh, I don't know if you know Mastin Kip, uh, he's in the states. He's also a coach, and he and he focuses on uh, a lot on mental health. So there was a time, let's say a year ago, he was I was following him, and sometimes he would put out content that I wouldn't really agree with. I would just unfollow him, and uh, and it brought up that emotion of uh, sort of envy. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, six months down the line, I was following him again. And this time I was liking his content, but really it was just the same sort of message. Right. What changed was my, the way I was viewing it. Right. And, and my, my own position on where I was in my life at that time, because his message was still consistent. It was me who had some work to do. His message made me uncomfortable, probably mm-hmm. made me envious. Maybe he was doing something that I wanted to do. Maybe he was doing, doing it better or worse. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But I really had to do, that was a reflection um, that my emotions were, were, were giving me that, hey, you know, this is something for you to focus on. There's nothing wrong with his message. There's, there's, this is something that you have to internalize. So I really love that point that you made about, um, you know, when, whenever an emotion is triggered within you, when you're watching something outside or following, or if it's something on social media that you're following, there's, that is really an opportunity to take a look into yourself and see, hey, right. why, why is it unsettling me? And what is it that really I'm disagreeing with here? So I want to bring this back to something more practical for, for the listeners here. So let's, let's dive into, so you're a peak performance coach now, right? Mm-hmm. And before you actually became a, a peak performance coach, you thought about becoming a peak performance coach. Yes. So... What was that process like? So from the moment you thought about it till the moment you actually became the coach, what happened in between uh, Ah. the challenges and how you overcame them? All right. So that's, that's a hell of a long journey. I would say (laughs) I decided I wanted to be a life coach after I saw Tony and his career. And I realized that that's something that I feel very pulled to, Mm. but I didn't end up really starting coaching until probably two years after that. And I, it started mostly in peak performance fitness coaching. Okay. So I have my five fundamental pillars of natural fitness called sleep, hydration, nutrition, training, and mobility. And I often give speeches on that topic because fitness is a huge, I mean, to say it's a passion of mine is probably underdoing it. It's an obsession. I'm, I'm head over heels in love with all things natural fitness. And when I say natural, I mean no steroids, no drugs, none of that. Mm. So I am an extremely mastery-driven person. And so I spent a lot of years mastering my craft and building my physique over time and learning the, the fundamental things that really do matter versus the, the you know, sort of tornado of misinformation that the industry gives. Mm. And... So then I started helping other people. So first I did it for me. I really went from 160 pounds, skinny fat, just not in shape, honestly, and, and drank too much and too often, as I've told you, to literally, you know, 195 pounds pure muscle um, with mm. pr- not pure muscle, but very, very good, strong physique. And I'm a naturally lanky, tall guy. And uh, so I did it for me, mastering my craft and then, you know, study, practice, teach, reflect. Uh, that's the mastery formula in my opinion. And so teaching it was something that I'm super passionate about as well. And that's where I started coaching. So people would come to me thinking they want to be in shape. And what's interesting about coaching too, I'll say this, people come to you. The reason they come to you is different than the reason they stay. People came to me because they thought they wanted six pack abs. What they really needed was to feel good about themselves. And that's what fitness will do. It's, it's not about the physical result of looking good. It's about the act of consistently keeping the promises you make to yourself. And so back to the practical standpoint here, I developed this spreadsheet 
where my clients sent me their stats every single day and I would track their progress. And so I have this whole formula that basically makes sure they lose the right amount of weight in the right amount of time or gain the right amount of weight in the right amount of time because I could go deep into fitness. But basically, you're either building muscle or burning fat. The biggest problem is most people try to do both. And if you chase two rabbits, you're going to catch neither. And I could go way deep into fitness. Like I've been studying fitness for so many years and that's like really my bread and butter. But then I transitioned into business coaching over time because I realized that a lot of the people who are extremely service driven, who are more focused on the emotional and spiritual sides of life, don't have the, the numerical acumen, the numbers love that I do. And so I have one client, for example, she runs her own physical therapy clinic and she's incredible and she's so good at what she does. But as a business owner, she doesn't know her numbers very well. So what I've helped her do is understand the tiny leverage points that actually make the biggest difference so that her behavior is congruent with what's best for the business and how she can add more value in less effort and time because she, she you know, her, her business could only grow as far as her calendar could stretch because she was seeing like 40 clients a week, um, which is eight hours a day, every day, five days a week, which as a business owner, it's like you have to also run the business not just be in the business operating it. So that's sort of how it transitioned. But I've got between speeches, you know, coaching and, you know, masterminds um, and then going on other podcasts and also our own podcast. We just surpassed 335 episodes. I've got thousands of hours trying to help people find the little things that make the biggest difference. And that's what peak performance really is. It's how do I take, you've heard of Proto's principle, right? Sorry? You heard of Pareto's principle? No, I did have not. Okay, so Pareto's principle, Pareto was a scientist in the early 1900s, late 1800s, and he basically found out that uh, he was with pea pods. He was uh, planting pea pods. He found out that, right, you have heard of this, 80% of the peas were produced by 20% of the pods. Mm. And so this is a universal law. So for example, for everyone listening out there, I bet you you only wear 20% of your clothes. <laughs> for everyone out there right now, I guarantee you in your house, no matter how big it is, you spend 80% of your time in 20% of the places, right? Mm-hmm. So this is just a universal thing. Like 80% of this, uh, of America's wealth is held by 20% of the, the people. This is just a very universal numbers thing. It, it can vary a little, but not much. Mm-hmm. So here's the interesting thing about productivity and peak performance, and I'll, I'll make sure this is as practical as possible for your listeners. Okay. If you want to have a certain result, let's say you want to gain, or no, let's say you, most people want to lose weight. So I'll say, I'll start there. You want to lose 10 pounds in the next 10 weeks. I personally can guarantee that you do that if you do these following things. Now, let's say you want to lose 10 pounds. If you want to lose 10 pounds in the next 10 weeks, there are certain things that matter so much more than other things. So for example, the three things that matter most, if you actually do them, you'll get the result. Whereas most people do a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't actually make a big difference. So yes, everything matters, but not everything matters equally. And so if you take 20% of your daily actions, they are responsible for 80% of your outputs, your results. What if you take 20% of 20%? Then you're going to get 4%. That means 4% of your daily actions are responsible for a ridiculously high amount of your results. What if you take 20% of 4%? 0.8%. So this is me being a numbers guy. I want, this is what I do with my clients. This is peak performance in a nutshell. What is the 0.8% of things 
that actually make the biggest difference. Make sure you do those and master them and do them consistently. And you will literally scale your impact and your results so big. This is what the most successful people do in society. Like Tom Brady only focuses on football. Like he literally says verbatim, if you're competing with me, you better be ready to give up your life because I've given up mine. He didn't, he gave his life up, life up for football. He loves football. He didn't, he didn't, you know, imagine he loved pick up basketball every Saturday and Sunday on the weekends. He's automatically not Tom Brady. <laughs> so peak performance is what are the tiny leverage points that open the huge doors specifically based on the craft I intend to master in advance. And then how do I double, triple and quadruple down on that and eliminate everything else? That's a very powerful message. And I appreciate you sharing that. There's something that you said at, at the very beginning which I want to highlight as well, um, and which was that when you first thought about being a coach, like a peak performance coach, it wasn't until two years later that you actually became the coach mm -hmm. and you achieved that goal. And I, I want to highlight this because we, from, from my lens, I see that we live in a society that's used to instant gratification and getting things really fast right away. Oh, yeah. And so patience really is a virtue right now. So if you have a goal, if you want to achieve something, so it depends on uh, how big your goals are too, right? So the bigger right. your goals are, it's, it's possible that you may have to wait a little bit longer. Not necessary, but it's possible, right? Right. So, so like you said, two years it took you to actually get to where you are from the first time that you thought about it. Mm. And so I just want to highlight that because as long as you keep doing or taking actions, or even the smaller actions, like you said, you know, maybe you need to do 20% uh, things in your day that will help you get to your goal in an X amount of time, and you consistently do them, you will get there. The point, the point, the point is, is how long can you stay focused and committed right. until you achieve your goal? So I just wanted to highlight that timing aspect of it, that it does take time sometimes, even though some people do achieve success really fast, which is a very low percentage, I believe. Yes. But for most of us, it's going to take planting a seed and then watering it and then taking care of it, make sure it gets the right nutrients and then eventually we'll get there. So I just uh, wanted to highlight that. So powerful. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're, uh, we're nearing the end of our time together here. I want to thank you for being on this podcast and really delivering so much value here. I really do appreciate it. And um, so before we go, so there's two things I usually do. One is a message from the heart to someone who's listening. And uh, once you're done that, uh, just a way for people to reach out to you and connect to you. Mm, I really like that. I like that a lot. As a, as a fellow podcast host, that's a really good thing. A message from the heart to the listener. Mm, yeah. Okay. So out there, dear listener, when you are in emotional pain, which by the way is inevitable, mm. if you choose to develop a virtue over a vice, your life will be so much better. Your future will be so much brighter. Advice can be anything, any sort of escape. When you're in emotional pain, it is natural and human to want to escape it. But if you face it head on and find a distinction in it, you know what? I'll say this. Sit in it long enough to get the breakthrough. The central nervous system cannot stay in pain. Whenever I'm in emotional pain and I want to go back to drinking alcohol to numb the pain, I say, no, Alan, sit in this and you're going to get a new distinction. You're going to get a new idea. You're going to have a new breakthrough. You're going to set a new standard. So if you're in emotional pain, number one, you're not alone. That is universal of the human condition. Number two, sit in it just long enough 
to where you're gonna picture it like a bow and arrow. The emotional pain is is helping you aim at a new target and and the the arrows being pulled back, pulled back, pulled back. And when you shoot that thing, you're going to be you're going to be shooting higher than you ever were before. And I just am so convinced that if you choose to develop virtue over escaping in devices when emotional pain strikes, especially right now with everything that's going on in the world, um, you're going to be so much better off. And I want to see more happy, healthy, productive people because happy, healthy, productive people don't hurt others. And right now, we're all in a lot of emotional pain with what's going on in the world. And I think it's more important than ever to really develop ourselves and lead by example. I love that, man. Such a powerful message. Mm. Yeah, I got goosebumps hearing that. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that you got goosebumps. I appreciate that very much. It makes me smile. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, what's uh, what's one place people can reach out to you and connect with you and if you want, if they want to hear more of what you're saying? So I appreciate that very much. I am on all of the the big six, I call them. So Snapchat, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, Instagram is the best place. It's at alazarus88. That's A-L-A-Z-A-R-O-S-8-8. If you type in Alan, A-L-A-N space Lazarus, I'll also come up. Lazarus again is L-A-Z-A-R-O-S. And reach out anytime. I, uh, between me and my executive assistant, we comb those platforms constantly. We're always looking forward to people reaching out. My goal really is to help other people increase the quality of their life at the end of the day, whatever that means to them. And uh, hopefully we'll meet and connect at some point. Awesome, man. I really appreciate you being on the show. And I'll leave a link to, uh, to your profile once I release the episode. Uh, thank you so much for being on here. Thank you so much. And also, uh, I'd be happy to share this episode as well for you and, and uh, get, I have, you know, fortunately a good following at this point and I'll, I hope that more people listen to your show. Uh, awesome, man. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in to this edition of the Grow With Moon podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to my show so that you don't miss a future episode. Feel free to leave a rating, a comment, if you want to follow me on social media, my Instagram is the Grow With Moin Podcast. Once again, thank you and enjoy the rest of your day.